Hey everybody, you're listening to the 34th episode of Hipster Baseball Podcast, HBP, where we talk about baseball, drinks, and everything else under the sun. I'm DeCarlo Calloway, alongside Dorian, and on today's podcast, we take a swig in Amsterdam, crash into Dave Matthews in Chicago, celebrate another New York achievement, and listen to the oldies in St. Pete. So of course, we are going to begin this episode like we do all of our other episodes and discuss what we are drinking as we are recording this beautiful Bean Footage podcast. So today I'm drinking a Schneider Aventinus German Doppelblock. So this drink I have fond memories of because back in my youthful 20s, I was introduced to this German beer garden out in Brooklyn and I had this beer and it's really, really good. It has like this rich, like woody nutty taste to it. And it's a strong uh, alcohol percentage is 8.2, which is pretty good. So I know I'm going to be nice and toasty after I drink this, but every time I like think of this, I think of a really like good night I had with one of my buddies and his cousin and we partied really all night and we were drinking nothing but these and Yes, I, I did have pain the following morning, but it's nice to run into an old friend as I am enjoying my time with another dear friend of mine. So what's up, Dorian? How you doing today? I'm doing great, DiCarlo. Happy 30, uh, 34th episode and happy National Brown Baggot Day, which is going to be, which is on May 25th. Are you drinking your doppelback out of a brown bag? No, it is a brown beer, but I'm drinking it out of a Pilsner glass. I'm, I almost thought about drinking it out of a German, uh, was it a Stein? Uh-huh. Stein? But I, I, it was just been too much of a hassle. So I, I well, I'm going to open up my very humble beer I have this week. And I'm having it in a brown bag for National Brown Bag of Day. Because on National Brown Bag of Day, they encourage you to take your lunch in a brown bag. But those from a different, different lifestyle say... Just have a nice beer, adult beverage in a brown bag when you're sitting on the corner. And what I'm doing sitting on the corner here recording this with you is a Modelo. It's a 24-ounce 24 ounce beer from, uh, from Mexico. It's actually a Pilsner-style beer. There's nothing fancy about this. It's a good, humble beer for the people who like to sit on the corner. Oh, wow. I haven't tasted this in a while. <laughs> It sounds like it was sitting, like the way that you're coughing sounds like it was probably just sitting in the back for quite a while. That might be mixed with other contents that is not just beer. Maybe. Who knows? But uh, I'm just going to hold my nose and, and drink my beer out of my brown bag. I'm sure you can hear that. And when I saw that it was going to be National Brown Bag at David Carlo, it reminded me of one of the greatest television shows of all time. HBO's The Wire. And if you guys remember back in, in episode... No, episode in season three of The Wire, that one of the well, The Wire is. I mean, we could we could talk about we can have an entire podcast series about The Wire. That that is such a great show. There are but, a lot of them though, so we, yeah. But none that would be drinking on the on the recording and then throwing in you know Baltimore Orioles references inside. So people, Probably. you know, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll I'll do a quick one here. The Wire is set in Baltimore, Maryland. And a place I used to live in, by the way, went yeah. to college there. Represent Morgan State Hollow. Right, well, continue. Yeah, and 
it's it, the, the, the show is like an intersection of the decline of uh, industrial city, also the, the decline of America, uh, police, education, drug, drug use, drug business. It's generally one of the, it's it always considered one of the greatest television shows of yes, all time. It, it really is. It really touches on every single like what's Media. It, pressure point uh, within society centered mm-hmm. around Baltimore, Maryland, and how every single thing connects to one another from education to drugs, to politics, to the to media. It was, oh, it was a magnificently woven show that just really highlighted so much of what happens not only in you know cities like such as but like in cities such as baltimore like specifically baltimore but other cities too because a lot of that content too was actually based on actual stories that took place in baltimore yeah the so you're asking yourself all right you guys have been talking about some german beer dorian's drinking a random mexican beer out of a brown bag and you're talking about some show that was off the air 15 years ago what's going on here what what how are we going to tie this together people we're tying this together because in season three there is an episode called hamsterdam it's like amsterdam the capital the capital of the netherlands but ham like the little hamsters hamsters actually don't sound like that but anyways so one of the police officers major colvin he's racking his bald head thinking on how to stop the drug wars in the western district and, of Baltimore. And no but we but we also have to provide context to it because one of the main things that it highlights is that within police departments it's about getting numbers which helps the politicians so it's not necessarily about preventing crime it's by how can we stop certain numbers and keep crime down like other criminal elements because for one drugs were going to be present because you have economic depression you have poverty and you have mental illness which is an untreated which is which goes untreated so you're going to have the drug issue no matter what but if we limit most of those crimes that offshoot because of that like murder robbery all these other things that gets the attention of um city hall then you know, let's let's try something different. Let's brown that's bag it. it. And that's when he and so Major Colvin is standing in front of his his uh, his uh, his subordinates, saying, "How in the world do we do we bring this under control?" And then he makes a he start, he makes a correlation to what Baltimore and and even cities and towns across America were going through back in 20, 30, 40 years ago of the corner people would go and sit there and have and drink their beer, but the police would stop you because you have an open container. So like you said, some genius decided I'm going to drop my beer in a crumpled Brown bag and the police will turn the, they'll turn a blind eye because they have bigger issues to do. He said, what if we use that policy in drugs? And so he created Hamsterdam where it was, they would allow the police would allow the open consumption of drug dealing, but they wouldn't punish anybody. He just wanted to control the drug trade and all of the things that came out of that business, which is what it is there. It was an absolutely insane policy that worked that paper Brown bag Amsterdam policy worked until the politicians found out about it until his bosses found out about it. And as you can imagine, 
he had to take the fall. And uh, the city councilman, who was who later became mayor, Tommy Carcer, uh, Carcetti, publicly he said, you know, he was just bashing poor Major Colvin. But in private, he actually said, that's a great idea, but I can't support it because he was, no. was going to run for mayor. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, mayor, mayor, Major Colvin had to retire because of this fiasco. And they did it in a way to really punish him because he didn't have enough time served as major in the police force that he didn't get a major's retirement pension, which is a lot larger. And he had to retire with a lieutenant's pension, which is a lot smaller. So, yes. But you know what the funny thing was, was that if you watch The Wire, especially season four, you realize that that's not where that's not the end of uh, Major Bunny Colvin. He ends up uh, attaching to a research project that goes into the Baltimore inner city schools, which provides an insight into how the education system feeds into the drug system, which feeds into all of that thing. So, you know, it's such a, like I said, it was, that show was so beautifully woven. Like I actually watched it. I rewatched the whole series. Actually, my mother and I rewatched it. Um, Yeah. We did it over the pandemic at the early stages of the pandemic. Right. And it was just, it was good to be able to go back and watch that again because it really does bring a lot to light. And then also because I, it brings nostalgia because I actually lived in Baltimore while they were still taping it. And I would run into a lot of the actors at parties because Baltimore is like a stone's throw of a town. So you know everybody, you see everybody. And, you know, it, it was a lot of good, it was a lot of good energy in the city at that time. So yeah, it's, it, I love that show. It's a classic show that really has aged well. The only yes. thing that hasn't aged well is that is the, in the wire, especially the first few seasons, they use a lot of wiretaps, which you, we don't we don't do nowadays in the 2020s. But besides that, the story is immortal. The stories that they write in there are any they can happen at any time in in human history. Watch the wire. Well, wiretaps of like payphones, but then once they started switching to burners, and, which is, which they still do use though. Mm-hmm. Like, like with a list of traffic, people still use burners. It's just, yeah, there's what, a lot more triangulation technology. And, you know, it's not like you have guys sitting in like the tombs of, of a precinct listening to the wiretaps of 9X and, and Bell Atlantic telephones. This is like the top. cellular one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So, everyone, celebrate National Brown Bag Day on the 25th of May by taking your lunch in a brown bag, by sitting out on your porch, sitting on your balcony, sitting out in the front of your house or your apartment complex with a beer or a wine bottle in a brown bag and drinking. And when you do that, send us a picture. Our Twitter handle is at HBP4040 and use the hashtag HBPDrink. Another thing that we, we had talked about the wire about, there was like the collision, the overlap of all these different segments of society and in baseball, sometimes these collisions is in these collisions happen. And I saw one incredibly violent collision collision to Carlo la, uh, last week, and it was half of HVP's one of HVP's favorite teams, the other half, not you. <laughs> it involved the Chicago White Sox, and when I saw that, I I gasped out loud. I was like, "Ooh." And it also reminded me at the same time of an old song from, uh, what was it? The, uh, the, the, the 90s, the early 2000s? It's probably the 90s. I think it was they, like 99, 98, 99. It, it reminded me of Dave, the Dave Matthews band. So we're going to crash into Dave Matthews in Chicago. 
And those of you who of us of like of a certain music or of a certain age will remember the Dave Matthews Band, whether you like them. Wow, it was actually 1996. Well, there you go. We had, you're right. It's in 1986. So in 1986, the Dave Matthews Band came out with a song called Crash Into Me. And I don't remember how it goes. All I remember is the, is the repeat, repeating part of you come crash into me, crash into me, crash into me. That's all I remember of that song. <laughs> can, can we at least put that in like, uh, like in tune? Yeah, I was trying to help you out and you're like, you totally crash into like, me, crash Yeah, that sounds like a bad. Me. Yeah, you sound like a cat. Who and that's good because we love animals and cats here on HVP. Yeah, but not to suffer though. Come on now. <laughs> but anyway, it sounded it's just like it, it sounded just like oh. my band. It sounded like the HBP band. <laughs> so this this unfortunate collision happened back on the 14th of May. It was the Kansas City Royals were playing at the Chicago White Sox. Remember, uh, the Chicago White Sox play on the south side of Chicago, on the south side of the city. Chicago. We, we got to talk about Chicago at another time because it's. I can't wait to go back in the summertime. Yeah, I'm actually is likely I'm gonna oh, go to so Chicago lucky. too. So, so. the yeah. the American the reigning American League MVP Jose Abreu, he hit a he no I'm sorry the Chicago White Sox were on defense. So the first baseman Jose Abreu went to go try to catch a ball that was like right in front of home plate, and the bat the Kansas City Royal batter Hunter Dozier, he was he was running with his head down because the pitcher from the it was just. It was basically a traffic jam halfway between home plate and first base. And Dozier had his head down. Jose Abreu had his head up looking for the ball. And it was a violent head-on-head hit. And these two men, if you go on the internet machine and look up Jose Abreu, he's a big boy. Hunter Dozier, he's not a small man either. I mean, it was boom. And I was like, oh. Oh, and they just both those guys dropped like like they just got hit in the face by like, like in boxing. It was it was bad. Uh, thankfully, no one had to go to the hospital. But Jose Abreu missed the next game. Hunter Dozier is on currently on the injured list for a con- concussion protocol. But it was bad. And then later in the in the the later in the game in the second inning, the very next inning, two White Sox players crashed into each other. The third baseman Yoan Moncada. And the left fielder Luri Garcia, I, it, because they weren't they weren't communicating. People, communication is key in your relationships, in business, life, whatever. Anyways, this is not a self help podcast, but Moncada. It could be. It could be, and we could also be talking about the wire as well. The so Moncada and Garcia they crash into each other. Nowhere near as bad as uh, Abreu and, and Dozier went through. But I was like, man, the. There's so many Chicago White Sox injuries of Eloy Jimenez, obviously lost in the in the spring in spring training, the center fielder Luis Robert, uh, and now uh, Jose Abreu got he had like a he almost Carlos Jose Abreu almost looked like a like a like a gangster because he had he had like a little uh, bandage I think it was under his left eye, <laughs> but thankfully like I said no one had to go to the hospital or anything like that and I do want to give. Beautiful shout out to the Chicago White Sox. They, we've only played uh, 25% of the season. Again, we, we know the baseball season is long, but 25% of it is already done. So a quarter of the season's up over, and the White Sox already have a three-game lead. They sit atop of the American League Central Division, and 
This is how good they are. They have a run differential of 73. That means they've scored of all throughout the whole season. They've scored 73 runs more than their opponents. And that run differential is a key indicator for a really good team. They have the best run differentiator, run differential in baseball at 73. The second one, the second place team is the Dodgers way down with, with 59. So that's just showing you how good the, the White Sox are in. This point differential, run differential, whatever you want to call it, it's used in baseball, basketball, football, and probably hockey, but I'm not really that much of a hockey fan. I don't know. And I do want to bring in my, my good friend here and my favorite co-host, DiCarlo, because last week in episode... Really? I'm your favorite? I, am I? <laughs> aren't I your only? You have others? Like, what's going on, man? Really? We, we do HBP after dark. That we, You aren't part of that, that recording. I'm joking. The last yeah. week, Carlo brought up the fact that in episode 33, he, he basically brought up the question, is, is a pitcher throwing a no-hitter perfect game even a thing anymore because it's so common, it's not cool, and there were two no-hit watches this past week. Back on the 15th of May, my Atlanta Braves were playing in the great state of Wisconsin. They went up to Milwaukee to play the Brewers. And the Braves right-handed pitcher, Ian Anderson, he was no-hitting the Brewers through six innings. In the bottom of the seventh, he gave up a crappy, soft, bloop hit behind second base. And uh, that, that ended the no-hit bit. But it was good to see he went deep. He went deep into the game. But, again, it seems like everyone's throwing no-hitters. On the 18th of May... The Seattle Mariners went to Detroit to play the Tigers, and the, the Tigers pitcher, Spencer Turnbull, he no-hit the Mariners, when and the Tigers won 5-0. Turnbull, he only walked two players, and he struck out nine. This is how bad the Mariners are, DiCarlo. This is the second time this year that the Mariners have been no-hit. They've been no-hit hey, twice. Throw back, man. Huh? They need Ichiro back. <laughs> Ichiro's like 80 no, years it. old. He's like a samurai. No, warrior. but I'm, I'm speaking, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, you need, they need a player like that who was a consistent hitter because, honestly, wow. you know, that guy, when he was playing for them and in his prime, was hitting every single thing. An and now they can't get a single damn hit, and they're practically getting no hit on a consistent basis. That's problematic. It, the, the, the season is six weeks old, and the Mariners have been no hit twice. That's awful. As you, and you can imagine, they're batting, they have the lowest team batting average of 199. Wow. 199 is a team. Wow, that's terrible. So I think that no hitters are still a thing, but they're just very, very common. But, yeah. you know, another thing that's really not. Well, a, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's like, it is common, but that's also because I, I would have to say, like, going, like, kind of referencing what we were talking about last week, pitchers are better. You know, when you have better commands of the ball, when, yeah. you know, there's a lot more physiological training and nutrition that goes in, into the science of pitching and all these other analytics, like, that helps. And, you know, when, 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 when you have an influx of pitchers who on average are throwing about, say, 95 miles per hour, like, think about it maybe like a generation ago, you would have maybe – you wouldn't have that many starting pitchers who were like flamethrowers. You would have, okay, you have your Roger Clemens, you have your Nolan Ryans, but you would have a lot of pitchers who just would scratch the surface, maybe get you 89, 90 mile per hour consistent, maybe forcing fastball, but wouldn't really be throwing gas. But 
now you have pitchers who throw gas, but then also have command of off-speed pitchers. So that adds a different equation to being in a batter's box against pitchers nowadays. Like, if you have somebody of, of say, using an example, Justin Verlander, who will throw 99 miles per hour and then have, like, a wicked slider, you know, that's going to keep a lot of batters off balance because, for one, you want to be prepared for getting some heat, but then you don't want your knees to buckle too much when you're getting thrown off speed pitches that are really a huge discrepancy within speed. So something to think about. So no hitters, are they a thing? I guess, or maybe not because they're so common, but what's really not a thing. Well, we wouldn't be throwing any no hitters. Oh, of course not. I mean, please, I'd probably be throwing. It's so funny. We sit back and and speak about it as as such like, (laughs) Oh, it's blase. When, the average layman wouldn't even be able to throw 70 miles per hour without yeah, ripping like, like their rotator cuff or something like that. Topping out at 60 miles an hour. Yeah. But, so I guess no hitters are kind of a thing, maybe. And But what's definitely not a thing are the New York Knickerbockers. Yes. The National Basketball Association make the playoffs. Because the yes. New York Knicks never make the playoffs. That is not a thing. No, no, seriously. And I'm going to attribute this to me giving my, my pops uh, – a throwback New York Nick warm-up jacket for <laughs> for his birthday. No, I got it for, for Christmas. And it was from when the Knicks are actually a consistently winning team. And no, seriously, kudos to the New York Knickerbockers because honestly, they've become a running punchline. And a lot of it was their own fault, especially ownership. Q James Dolan, you know, JD and the rough shots. Uh straight shots, excuse me. But um yeah, they haven't had a winning squad. They didn't even make the playoffs since 2012-2013 season when Melo was still playing for them. But this season, my goodness, they clinched the fourth seed, so meaning they don't have to play the Bucks or the Sixers or the Nets in the opening rounds of the playoffs. And they've been led by a young squad, mostly led by Julius Randle, who's been a beast, and then Coach Tom Thibodeau, who – was able to instill a system and an ethos within that young squad, bringing them together and playing it out. And it's a, it's a great New York achievement because not only do we have NBA ba- like playoff basketball back at Madison Square Garden where it should be on a consistent basis, this is taking place at the same exact time where the city and state of New York is opening up. Opening up for business, 14 months after shutting down, we're going to have playoff basketball at MSG. Granted, it's been a longer time. We've been waiting for that. But what a perfect time to happen at the same exact thing. It's like the stars are aligning. And you know what? I look at that. Even if the Knicks don't take a super run within the playoffs, that is a big omen for what's to come for New York. Is that, hey, if the Knicks are starting to come out of stuff, and we're coming out of this, and we got people, we're having events again. The summer is beautiful. People are feeling free and nice. And we can go to MSG and watch some basketball. We get some concerts going. We have some outdoor activities. People aren't feeling so scared anymore. Hey, beautiful accomplishment, bro. So I know shout what, out to the Knicks. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk around. I'm gonna, not, maybe not walk, but I'll run around the streets of Manhattan yelling out, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Just to piss off 
Knicks fans like my good friend DiCarlo. <laughs> no, you know what the funny thing is? Because people in New York would know that you're not from New York because nobody really in New York is a Brooklyn Nets fan. Like the Brooklyn Nets You're are all, like all the Brooklyn Queens, Nets are a nice novelty. All of Queens and Queens, it's like Queens and Brooklyn are Nets fans. No, they're not. Not at you all. Walk, you come on, you get off. No, you, you will. Everyone's wearing their black hats with no. a BK on it. No, nobody does. You want to know why? Because what were the Brooklyn Nets before the Brooklyn Nets? The New Jersey Nets. So, and they had no fan base. But but Jay Z, but Jay Z is. Uh, Jay, no, he's not, a, he sold his shares off. Yeah, but he's still like you know, it's like in no. in, in, in popular culture's mind, they're still associated associate Jay Z with the Brooklyn not Nets. Not New York, popular. I said in popular culture. I didn't say on in Bushwick or anything like that. No, but in New York, that's what matters. We're, the context <laughs> oh, is New York. Wow, right now. wow. No, but the context is New York. If we're talking about people in New York, and I'm telling you, like you're not gonna get much. People are gonna look. You talk about running around with Brooklyn, Brooklyn, in reference to the Nets. <laughs> I'm going to sit back and be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> People go to the Nets because it's something to do. And it's nice that there potentially is going to be, you know, that there's a, a strong basketball presence there. But they won't have any traction unless there's a rivalry that develops between them and the Knicks because the Knicks are solid. It's like it can't even be compared to, say, if you look at what the Mets were to the Yankees. So, all right. It, for for those who know, all our baseball purists, New York used to have three baseball teams, the New York Yankees, the New York Giants, and the Brooklyn Dodgers. So the Giants were the first to leave, and then the Dodgers left, and then we got the Mets. But the Mets have been a while, and the Mets actually did win some championships so that it did develop a rivalry, especially when the, the Subway Series and interleague play entered into the equation with the Major League Baseball. With the New York Knicks and the and the Brooklyn Nets, the Brooklyn Nets, yeah, they were good in New Jersey when Jason Kidd was playing. They actually did go to the championships and were in the, the, the Eastern Conference playoffs pretty consistently, but it's New Jersey. And even before that, when they had Derek Coleman and Drazen Petrovic, um, they were good, but once again, New Jersey. Anything that touches New Jersey, apart from the New York Giants or the New York Jets, nobody in New York actually cares about. Sorry, it's just what it is. People in New York care about electricity, and that's, you know, Edison Park and all that stuff. Are we talking about <laughs> I, in the whole no form of I, history? Because that was Menlo Park, <laughs> Menlo, by the way. Whatever. Anyways, uh, I'm, I'm just talking nonsense. But, yeah, well, congratulations to the New York Knicks. The They're going to play in the playoffs. Fourth seed uh, of the playoffs. I, Shout I, out I, to them. But – I, I'm going to push back and telling you that if the Brooklyn Nets manage to win the NBA championship this or next year, uh, they're going to get a lot more fans in, in, in yeah, from the New York. Yeah, the are Brooklyn. The hipsters are Brooklyn. <laughs> well, I mean, That's the, it. The, 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 like, the hipsters Brooklyn. have been in the, come on, the hipsters have been in Brooklyn for what ten plus years. I mean, it's yeah, twenty. Actually. Yeah, it's like been, I remember, they're basically natives by now. I remember when it started switching back in like 99, 2000, because I remember one of my sister's friends had an apartment out in Williamsburg. And I North Williamsburg was mostly, and, and just for those, most neighborhoods are broken up ethnically. So like back then, North Williamsburg was mostly Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, and South Williamsburg was always like Jewish, heavy Jewish, Hasidic territory. But even in North Williamsburg, you had a lot of it too. But as soon as the artists left from Soho, which, which happened really around like 
the artists were in Soho around like eighties, like late eighties, nineties. Then they got bought, like they sold off their stuff because with the lofts and everything. Then they moved out to Brooklyn. Artistic scene started to build in Brooklyn, and everybody knows whenever there's a cultural up, like uplift within a community, watch for investors to come in, and then it's gonna start flipping and making money. And that's the same exact thing that happened in Williamsburg, and now Williamsburg, man, oh my god, like I remember. Jesus, 20 years ago, it doesn't even look the same. Like, now, it's just so different. But, yeah, that's that's what happens. That's what happens. So, yeah. Um, we'll see what we'll see what the New York Knicks do this summer in the, in the playoffs. But we also need to pay some bills here. We need to be able to pay the drinks that we have in our hands, the fancy German beers, the, the, the very modest Mexican beers that we're drinking today. Yeah, and this fancy German beer has me on my behind right now. Just telling <laughs> you. Like, I'm levitating at this point. It's our show sponsor this week, Jordan Marsh, your high-fashion department store. Find us all across New England, Southern California, and Miami. Get all you need this summer from bikinis to sunblock at Jordan Marsh, your high fashion department store. I'm pretty sure they're going to have New York Knicks uh, hats, Brooklyn Nets caps. Uh, maybe they might even have Atlanta Brave swimming trunks. I have no idea. But a lot of people, well, people in New York can't shop at a Jordan Marsh. But what has been happening ever since COVID-19 happened with this whole quarantine and shutting down and stay safe at home and all this stuff has been a lot of New Yorkers have been moving to Florida. Not just New Yorkers, a lot of people in general, because Florida yeah. has been like the open wild, wild west, no matter where you've been. Florida, man, Florida man is there to welcome you with open arms and an oh, alligator. That is there Florida to- man, he is, he is like always there. And alligators are there to open, to welcome you with open jaws. <laughs> I swear. So, like, Florida is such an interesting place. I, I, it's beautiful. No, it's beautiful, but it's like, I don't know. It's almost like, <laughs> let me say this kindly. It's like a rip in the space-time continuum. <laughs> it's land that the, the land that time of like it's like the frequency of, of many people there is just completely off. But it's uh, it's like that nineties. Uh, what is that 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 land before time? That badly animated movie from like, oh, the which late was 80s. supposed to be like a parable on glo- climate change. No, seriously, like yeah. movies like that. That came land out in 1988, 1988, yes. Land Before Time. See, they've been, see, the, notice how a lot of messages have been like, yeah. in, like infused long time. And then what are we like now? It's like, oh no, we need to change everything. I mean, it's a good thing, but yeah, it's like Land Before Time. Straighten yourselves out before you become extinct. Fern Gully, another thing, like all these animated like things, like movies back then, really quite informative. If you watch them back now, you'd be like, oh my God, I wouldn't show this, like, what are our children actually watching? What messages are they decoding to them and programming? Yeah, Fern Gully people, check it out. That, that movie came out in '92, and it starred one of uh, I don't know I don't know where he's from, but Tone Loke. Oh, he's from movie. he's from LA. He's from he's from California. Oh, okay, but still, so uh, maybe Loke? Tone, so Tone Loke, yeah, he's Tone, from LA. Tone, Tone Loke shops at Jordan Marsh for sure because it's a high end fashion fashion store. Yeah, he's, he's a wild thing. He's using some of that Fern Gully money to get nice threads in Southern he California. He has a very nice voice, by the way. Like, his voice, 
you know how some people's voices just like really stand out. He has a nice like baritone resonance to it because mm. he also had a, a cartoon called Sea Bear and Jamal back in the nineties too, and he was remember. this bear who came alive and would like was this companion to this young black boy Jamal. Like I remember that. That was a good show. I used to watch it on Saturday mornings. So, thank you, Jordan Marsh, for uh, leading us down the road of environmental awareness with Fern Gully and Land Before Time. <laughs> And again, we've said a lot of people, a lot of people are moving to Florida, especially New Yorkers. It's, there've been articles on Bloomberg.com and all the other news and business channels. Who else was in Florida this past week? Miss Cleo was there because in this week's segment of Miss Cleo, we're revisiting two episodes ago when we had our long winded bet of the New York Yankees against the Tampa Bay Rays all season, whichever one of those teams ends up winning their, their head-to-head matchup, ice cream was on the line. So if the Yankees won the season, the season series, and we have to, we're going we're gonna to tally it up in September when the season ends, I'm going to buy the Carlo an ice cream from Big Gay Ice Cream in New York. If the Rays end up winning the season series against the Yankees this year, then DeCarlo is going to buy me ice cream from Ample Hills, which is an amazing ice cream place also in New York. And they also now sell pints in the supermarket. I recently saw Ample Hills. In the yeah, but I want it actually from like the actual store, though. <laughs> okay. So I want to do a quick recap. That's fine. That's cool. I, I will do a quick re- recap of this series. I predicted that in this series, the Rays playing at home in St. Pete which is just outside of Tampa. And that's where uh, George Steinbrenner used to have a house in Tampa. And that's the reason why the New York, New York Yankees, I was going to say the New York Knicks, the New York Yankees play, have their spring training in Tampa and the Tampa Bay Rays play in St. Pete. So this was a really well-pitched series. And on the 11th of May, the Yankees won three and one overall, the Yankees won this mini series. They won two games that the Rays won one and, and, and DeCarlo hit it on the head. Cause he said the Yankees were going to win this series two two games to one. I said the Rays were going to sweep. I'm completely wrong. So on the, thir- the first game of the series on the, on the 11th of May, the Yankees won three and one, the New York Yankees right fielder, Aaron judge, a, a monster of a man. He hit a, ridiculously long home run. It was just a solo shot, but it was, it was, it was an awesome, awesome home run. So the Yankees won DeGarlo, I'm going to tell you your boy, Gary Sanchez, he looks He's lost. terrible. He's he looks terrible. lost. He's back. We're, earlier we said the, the, about the Seattle Mariners as a team have a 199 batting average. That's terrible. Gary Sanchez has a batting average of 189. I, I, I see him at the plate, and I'm like, this man looks lost. And we're not here to make fun of people because we enjoy, we love competition. We, 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 we root for these guys. No, he's freaking but, terrible. But he, and the worst part about it is, no, he's terrible. And it's not as though the Yankees got him for, like, thought, oh, let's, let's bring in Gary Sanchez because he's a very, like, sound defensive catcher. No, he's supposed to be an offensive catcher. Right. He's freaking terrible. He's, the funny no. thing is, he's gotten a little bit better with, on his defensive, but his offensive is just his offense is terrible, terrible. Yeah, so and, bad. and in this game, the Yankees welcome back first baseman uh, Luke Voigt. No relation to the Crazy Voigt family. Who is the Crazy Voigt family? We're talking about the actor John Voigt and his crazy daughter 
Angelina Jolie. So yeah, as far as I know, you know what I will say, she I wouldn't. She's evolved. Give Angelina Jolie some credit. She's a you know what man. she she does like put her time towards some admirable causes. Oh, you know, at first she was a little bit off, but at the same time, wouldn't she be when you have a little crazy bit dad father like John Boyd? I'm just. As far as I know, in, in my extensive research of doing absolutely nothing, I don't I haven't found any link between Luke Voigt, the baseball player, and the crazy acting family, John Voigt and Angelina Jolie. So welcome back to baseball, Luke Voigt. He was I don't know, I, I don't know what injury he's coming off of. But the the very next night on the twelfth of May, the Yankees won one nothing. Like there was no there, there was no action. Wrong, my friend. The Yankees right-handed pitcher Garrett Cole, he dominated the Rays. He is an absolute stud. I'm telling you, the Rays did not lay a glove on this man. Cole ended up pitching eight innings. He gave up four measly hits. He walked nobody, and he struck out 12 Rays. I was like, man, I, I, I forget the... I forget the contract that they gave Garrett Cole, but he's earning every single penny. I think it was like a $300 million plus contract over like 10 years or something crazy. He's the guy's a stud. The guy's a stud. And the very next night is how we get to our point of what DeCarlo said at the top of the show of listening to the oldies in St. Pete. I love this because on the 13th of May, this game, the Rays finally won. They won the game very, very easily, nine to one. The Rays starting pitcher of left-handed Rich Hill, he's 41 years old, and he's been pitching since the land before time came out. I'm joking, no. (laughs) He's been pitching since The Wire was still on HBO. 2005, DeCarlo. That is 16 years in Major League Baseball. Good for him. I hope he has a lot of saved up. Oh, I'm sure he had, I'm sure he's earned hundreds of millions of dollars in his career when you have 16 years of of, of baseball, baseball paychecks. But what made me laugh and talking about like, you know, whether it's your parents or your grandparents or even you listening to the oldie station when you're driving or or whatever, (laughs) the Yankees network, the why, yes, in their matchup, in their, in their scouting report for Rich Hill. They had the last bullet point for him. They said that Rich Hill, he's an oldie, but a goodie. <laughs> and I saw that, and I love the sense of humor of why yes, of yes, of the yes network. Yeah. And he I immediately, I started in my mind when I saw that, I obviously laughed. And I also started like thinking of uh, some old like 1950s doo-wop song, like, uh, Shoo-wop, boy, my baby. Shoo-wop, shoo-wop, my baby. <laughs> By, uh, it's called. There's a song called "Shoe uh, Bop" by the uh, what is it? The, the Belmonts. I have no idea what that year that song came out in, but the, that was the song that was uh, playing in my mind, and um, he was just awesome. The uh, Rich Hill was just uh, he. He pitched six into two third innings. He gave up only three hits. He struck out nine. He gave up zero runs. And like fine wine, Rich Hill is getting better as the season go on, goes on. Back in April, he had an ERA of 7.25. In May, he's had three starts, and he hasn't given up a single run. So kudos to him. Shout out to you, Rich Hill. 
Showing wine. them that fine wine. Yes, you age well. Good for you. Yeah, and uh, right now the Rays are in third place of the American League East. The Yankees are in fourth place of the American League East, but they're, they're, they're basically separated by one game. So, again, baseball season is going to go until September, and we'll see who wins the great, the great ice cream bet playoff of HVP. But you can also send us a picture of your favorite ice cream Send us a picture of you giving some ice cream to your pets, as long as it's not chocolate. Because from my, I, you don't give your pets chocolate, but they, I think they can have a, a lick or two of vanilla ice cream. We love pets here on HVP. Tweet us a picture of you tickling your pet's belly, letting them fly around the house. Um, I don't know if you have uh, hamsters. I have no idea. I don't know where I'm going with this. But we love pets here. Tweet us a picture of them. Our Twitter handle is at HBP4040. And when you send a picture, use the hashtag HBPets, H-B-P-E-T-S. And that's a wrap for episode 34. Thank you for listening, everybody. Please subscribe to the podcast and provide us with a review. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at HBP4040. And our drinks will be in the show notes. Make sure that you join us next time for a brand new episode of HBP Hipster Baseball Podcast. Peace.